Welcome to Sound Medicine, mantras and music podcast, where you will hear from various healers, musicians, visionaries, and educators. Get ready to experience transformational and inspiring storytelling, songs, chants, and interviews that will uplift your spirits, mood, and health. Welcome to Sound Medicine, Mantras and Music. Today we have a very special guest, my friend and teacher, Bill Francis Berry will be speaking to us on creating a successful 40-day mantra practice. Bill is a spiritual teacher and a practitioner of mantra, yoga, and Vedic studies since 1969. He is a Vedic priest in the lineage of Sadguru Sant Keshavadas and Namadeva Acharya. He earned four degrees at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Bill received Shaktipat transmissions from Swami Muktananda, Mirabai Devi, Jagadguru Shankacharya Jayendra Saraswati, and initiations from Namadeva Acharya. He received in-person training with Swami Satchitananda, Yogi Bhajan, Sufi Master Pir Vilayat Khan, and Buddhist scholar Robert Thurman at Amherst College. In 2002, Bill retired from a 10-year position at Dartmouth College Director of Management Information Systems. Currently, Bill serves as a director of Sanatana Dharma Satsang, a nonprofit 501c3 religious corporation. He is a member of the advisory board of the Eagle Condor Council. Bill teaches workshops in Sanskrit mantra, puja, ninner, nada, yoga, and offers private consultations. For more information on his teachings and services, you can check out his website at www.mantravijaya.com, M-A-N-T-R-A-V-I-J-A-Y-A, period, com. Very excited to have Bill on the show today. Okay, Bill, it's Great to have you here on Sound Medicine, Mantras and Music. And I really have a lot of respect for, for you and just meeting you and gone through some workshops as, as your student. And uh, it's really an honor to have you on, on the podcast. I know a lot of people will benefit from what you have to share with us today. Thank you, Gio. It's wonderful to be with you. And it, uh, it's an honor to participate in, in this uh, interview on, on, on sound medicine tools and techniques and, and guiding principles. Yes. Can you give us um, a little background for those that may not be familiar with you and, and the work you've done and your, your background? Because this is an interesting field, especially those of us that kind of grew up in the West and uh, how, how we came into mantras in the first place, specifically Sanskrit mantras and how it's affected and guided your life and how you're working with it now. If you want to just touch upon that, I think just to give a, a, a little bird's eye perspective, it's always helpful. They'd be happy to. Um, way back in about 1968, when I was in high school, I purchased a, a book on yoga. My first book on yoga, there was a section, uh, there was some materials on mantras in that book. That got me started on a path of, of yoga practice, and I was intrigued by the mantra teachings. In 1971, I learned uh, Transcendental Meditation. What was powerful about that was it provided me with a daily mantra practice, uh, twice a day daily practice. I did that practice of meditation every day for many years. 
and and then uh, I transitioned to some other other meditative practices. But I stayed with the daily practice all that time. In in 2005, I met a teacher, Thomas Ashley Ferrand, Namadeva Acharya. And uh, one of the wonderful things, several wonderful teachings that I learned from him involved the very practical applications of, of mantra practice, practicality across the full spectrum of life from healing, from overcoming obstacles, from relationships, etc. Uh, prior to that, my understanding of mantra was it was a practice of spiritual attunement and, and devotion and, mm-hmm. and expansion of consciousness. And yes, it is all of that. But what uh, Thomas Ashley Ferrand brought me to understand is that very specific mantras can be very helpful in all areas of practical needs in life. Um, I studied with him uh, for five years until his passing in, in late 2010. I became a certified uh, teacher of mantra through him. I studied uh, Vedic ceremony with him and became a pujari and, and ordained as a Vedic priest in the lineage of, of Namadevacharya and his teacher Sadhguru Sankeshavadas from Bangalore, India. My work with Thomas Ashley Friend uh, brought me to India twice. One time, my wife and I were with a large group of people for a 35-day trip. Excuse me, for a, 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 there were 35 of us. We were on a trip for about 24 days in India in 2009. That was transformative, transformational in terms of witnessing some of the depth of, of the tradition, uh, the Sanatana Dharma tradition. That's the name of, of what's commonly called Hindu Hinduism. Originally, it was called Sanatana Dharma. So the, the key point on this is that daily practice of, of mantra, daily practice of, of yogic techniques has been the foundation of, of a cornerstone of my adult life since I was in my uh, since I was about 21 years old. So that's a quick summary. So you're, you're not you're no uh, newbie into this. <laughs> right. I've, I've, been, I've been fully immersed. I was blessed to, to attend workshops with. People like uh, Swami Satchidananda, uh, mm. uh, Swami, Swami Muktananda. I took several trainings w- with uh, personally taught by Yogi Bhajan. So I've, I've had some exposure to other teachers as well in, in, in the mantra arena. Yeah, so I'm really happy you shared that with us so you c- we can really fully grasp like the depth and the weight of the wisdom that I feel that you come from and, and, the, and the connection and I just feel that you are somebody that really lo- is sharing authentically for the the greater good. And you really, whenever I listen to you, I really know that you are coming from a really good place. It's not self-serving. You're really wanting to help others truly. And, and I appreciate that. And so thank you for sharing that background. Thank you. I, I, I certainly, I've been blessed with some great teachers and, and I, I love to share these teachings. Absolutely. I mean, when I came across Mantra about 10 years ago through through Namadeva's book, Mantra Meditations, which I'd like to talk about in, in a little bit, I was, it was one of those things when you pick up a book for the first time and, and there's like an energy to like you start reading things and it's almost like the words jump off the page and your whole body starts to get excited. And I've had a few books like that that I've picked up in the years and that was definitely one of them. And it just, it, it's transformed my life and and my work and how I teach. And, and so we both share uh, Namadeva 
as a as a teacher and a, and a guide, even though he's not embodied anymore, and I never met him when he was walking the earth like you did. I'm just kind of curious uh, because of the scope and the and how much influence he's he's had on on our lives. Like, what was he like? Can you talk a little bit about him as a person and uh, and the energy of him and, and maybe his wife and the lineage a little bit? Namadeva Acharya was a very humble man with a vast array of knowledge. And he had a tremendous gift both in his written books, which he had many successful books, and in his, his workshop presentations. He had a tremendous gift of synthesizing a wide range of, of abstract and esoteric topics and creating a concise statement that made it understandable, made it accessible to people. Uh, it, it was a tremendous gift. I had been studying these teachings for, for literally for decades, and he brought a level of clarity and conciseness and depth that, that was just quite rare in my studies with, with all these teachers. Mm-hmm. Secondly, the energies that came through him. The energies that came through his, come through his writings still, and primarily the energies that come through the mantras that he taught, the form of Vedic ceremony that he taught, that energy is, is palatable. It's tangible. It's for those who are sensitive to energies, it can be perceived in different ways. It can, with no exaggeration, it can literally knock you off your chair. It's a strong for those who are sensitive and for those who, who, who do the daily practices and attune and strengthen the, and open themselves up to the conduits of energy that are available through the daily practice, through the Sanskrit mantra, uh, through the Vedic ceremony. And one last point about being with, with Namadeva, he, he had a great, he was very relaxed, very humble. He, he enjoyed the teachings, he enjoyed being with people. His teacher, Sadhguru Sankeshavadas, and Sankishvadas's uh, wife, uh, Sadhguru Ramamata, both tremendous teachers. I did not know Sankishvadas in person. Uh, I've been blessed with access. I received a gift of, of some 30 or so of his recorded satsangs on CDs. And so I've, I've studied his teachings through, through his books and through those recordings. And the People in yogic and spiritual circles speak about the term darshan. Darshan is is that energy that comes through a great teacher, either through them in person or through their writings or through their picture or through an object that they have had. And the the energies that come through these teachings are alive and dynamic and accessible to all who may, who, who study them or especially all who do the daily practice, the, the daily mantra practice. Yes, I totally agree. And to feel that, that life energy, that, that it's, it does come alive. And I, I've had the, um, the fortune to come across uh, Sant Keshavadas' books as well. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it, I believe the website is a Temple of Cosmic Religion. Is that correct? The temple of Cosmic Religion, all one, one term. Dot org. So those that want to go all the way back and, and study some of some of his writings and teachings, that would be a way to access. And then those that want to connect more with Namadeva uh, and his teachings and writings and, and is um, SanskritMantras.com. Is that correct? SanskritMantra.com. Okay. Mantra. Singular. Got it. 
Thank you for explaining that. And uh, I, I, w- I think it's a good segue into into describing. You talked a little bit about you. You originally got into transcendental meditation, and then this is what we're talking about now is a little bit different. And can you describe the difference between maybe Sanskrit mantras and TM and how you how you perceive what exactly is Sanskrit mantra? I will, but before you do, I want to correct myself. The, the templeofcosmicreligion.com is the, is, the, is the website name. It's, it's, okay. not, it's not .org. Got it. Okay. Thank you. The, the transcendental meditation technique and the teachings of, of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, very wonderful technique, very wonderful set of teachings. A very uh, highly regarded teacher uh, was Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. He taught a very simple practice. Uh, he was a bit of a pioneer in the Western cultures in terms of introducing mantra practice and introducing the, the value of daily meditation. So he kept it very simple, very focused. One of the primary gifts that he brought to his students and, 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 and to the, the larger culture was the, was the demonstrated benefits through oftentimes through scientific research of verification. He demonstrated the tremendous benefits of, of mental health, physical health, and, and vitality, the tremendous benefits of the daily mantra practice. Namadeva Acharya, he taught, and, and Sankishvadas taught, a much wider array of mantras. The goal was to make mantra, Sanskrit mantra, more accessible to a, a larger community and different mantras for different applications. However, the, the, one of the common threads between Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's teachings and the power of Namadeva's teachings and Sankishvara's teachings was the daily practice, the important mm-hmm. practice. And what and what would you say? What is for those that aren't familiar with Sanskrit or in Sanskrit mantras? What? How would you describe them? Where did they come from? What is the origin? And 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 you said, yeah, go ahead. That, that, that's a great question. The Sanskrit mantras. Sanskrit mantras are can be thought of as energy tools. They they work based upon the potency of the Sanskrit language. Many many forms of meditation involve, for example, mental contemplation. What's different about working with Sanskrit mantras is that Sanskrit is first and foremost an energy based tool. And the meaning is secondary. What do we mean by an energy-based tool? Most traditions, most linguists would recognize that in the Sanskrit language, there are 50 letters. There are 50 sounds in the Sanskrit alphabet. In traditional yoga teachings, the first six major chakras from the, the base chakra, the muladhara, to the ajna center, the third eye, there are six chakras there are said to be petals on the petals are localized energies that are perceived by the by the advanced mystics, the advanced yogis can perceive these energy petals on each of these six chakras. From chakra chakra one to six, there are said to be 50 petals, 50 of these localized energy centers. Those 50 petals on the chakras correspond, correlate one-to-one relationship with the 50 phonemes, the 50 sounds of the Sanskrit alphabet. How do we know this? Those, the individual sounds can be perceived on those localized petals 
by the very advanced yogis and mystics. What does this mean in our lives? It means that, that in a metaphorical way, we could say that the, our spiritual physiology is hardwired to the Sanskrit language. So therefore, when we chant Sanskrit mantra and Sanskrit hymn, we're stimulating those petals on the chakras. We're stimulating the energy of our spiritual physiology and drawing more energy into that spiritual physiology. We draw more energy in. It helps activate our spiritual spiritual physiology. It, it, It activates the chakras, begins to activate and awaken the chakras, increases energy flows throughout our spiritual physiology, brings further vitality to all aspects of our lives, physical health, mental health, cognitive health, our ability to be physically strong, our ability to be have great endurance and vitality. It brings vitality to, to our physical organs and, and, and health and, and our physical systems of, of circulation, of, of respiratory systems, uh, etc. So through the, the, the daily practice of chanting Sanskrit mantra, it's a daily practice that strengthens and increases the vitality of our spiritual physiology. And I said in a more simple way, it strengthens the vitality and strength of who we are on, on all levels. And it, and it brings benefits to all aspects of our lives. That's, that was really beautifully stated. And I got to tell you, I was pretty floored when I first came across this concept. I think it was, I, I, I had heard this idea of the 50 letters in the Sanskrit uh, alphabet correlating with 50 petals first at, um, I believe it was through Vasant Lad and then at the Ayurvedic Institute. And then I read your article on it. And it's, it is honestly one of the most fascinating ideas that I've come across that for each sound we make, it correlates with an aspect of our spiritual physiology in the chakras. And almost, I think of it as almost like vibrating, like playing a, a note on a piano and just vibrating it in some way. And then each the way it's almost like a formula and, and, and what, and, and what way you chant a certain sound and what order is going to have a different effect on your, on your energy system or on your spiritual physiology, or however you want to describe it. I thought that it's just mind blowing to me to think about it. It's a really beautiful way to, to correlate it. It's a profound teaching and it's curious that it's not more widely known because it's not only is it profound, but it's, it's just got such wonderful practical ramifications. It's a teaching that was taught by Paramahansa Yogananda, by Swami Shivananda of Rishikesh, Sanskrit scholar Vyas Houston, um, mm. Sir John Woodruff, who wrote his pen name Arthur Avalon, um, David Frawley. Other teachers have recognized this 50-sound, 50-petal correlation, and yet it doesn't seem to be as, as, as widely understood as, as, as I think it deserves to be, because it is just amazing. And you used, uh, Gio, you used the word formula, and that's right. These, I called mantras earlier uh, energy tools. They're formulas. They could be said to be spiritual formulas that, that produce a very specific result. And so this brings us to the point of why it's important to practice Sanskrit mantras as taught by the by the ancient rishis. What is a rishi? A rishi is an advanced mystic, an advanced yogi. The term rishi means seer. The teaching is that the, these mantras were first 
cognized, they were first perceived by these ancient rishis. Uh, so, for example, one of the definitions of mantra is mantra is a spiritual formula that produces a very specific result previously tested and verified by an ancient sage. So there are mantras that produce, that are taught to produce very specific uh, applications in different aspects of our lives. So this brings up an interesting point because in the popular, in our popular culture, mantras have become more popular. And at the surface, it seems very simple. You've got these wonderful sounds they're sequenced together in certain ways, and some people are capable of producing beautiful music or beautiful chanting of those sounds. But what's important here is that there's a science behind this, and it's rooted in, 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 in these old traditions, uh, these ancient yogic traditions. So this is why it's our teacher Namadeva taught, for example, we never make up our own mantras. Mm-hmm. Uh, he taught that working with mantras, working with Sanskrit mantras, is like working with fire. A fire can cook your lunch, or a fire can burn down the forest. And, and that's where we want, to, we want to know the sources from where we're getting these mantras because, because of these powerful effects, and we want to be within the, the intended application of these mantras to achieve the optimal results. So if I'm hearing you correctly, these, the mantras came originally from, from the seers, the rishis, and they were tested over time, over many millennia. And were, were these the same mantras that were written down in like the Upanishads, the Vedic records? Is that, or, were, or was it mostly oral that was passed down and kind of guarded? Or? In most cases, these mantras were, were perceived Within, within the collective set of, of, of vibratory, you could call it the vibratory database, the, the vibratory base of knowledge from which the, the Vedic scriptures came. The earliest Vedas were said to be perceived, not authored by humans. They were perceived in the vibratory foundation of manifest creation. And so the long Vedic hymns, each hymn the hymns are, each line in the hymn, each verse in the hymn is referred to as a mantra. So in terms of, of the seers of these mantras, the seers of the mantras, they could perceive the effects of a certain string of, of Sanskrit sounds, the effects that those sounds would have on our spiritual physiology and therefore on our, our physical health, our, our mental health, etc. So, so the, the advanced, these advanced souls recognized the formula and the, the effects produced by that formula. And then they, and then they so it, it's not that they were tested for centuries, but they, they recognized them early on. And then they were practiced as taught by the great masters generation after, after generation originally passed down through an oral tradition only more recently, roughly 2,500 years or so ago, according to some scholars, did the Sanskrit formulas start to be written down in, in written script. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And you're, what you're saying is the, the sequencing makes 
is very important. And you don't want to make up your own mantras because you're playing with fire. And if you don't, if you're coming from, it's one thing to practice a mantra or the sound formula that's very powerful. And I'd like for you to talk about power in, in a moment with mantras, but uh, it's one thing to practice them from a lineage or from passed down through what's been used and kind of test time tested. That's another thing to try to play with them in a way and sequence them yourself and, and be, it's kind of, it could be a, a danger perhaps in being too creative with them. Is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly what, what, what I'm saying is that there's a, there can be a danger and in, in terms of, of a mantra making somebody sick as opposed to providing a positive benefit. Uh, so, so for example, as mantra, as mantra teachings have become more popular, we've been blessed with, with many uh, wonderful musicians who've recorded with beautiful voice, beautiful uh, orchestration of, of, of instruments and some beautiful recordings of, of what some people refer to as mantra music. Mm-hmm. And as we know, music as a therapeutic tool has been, has been demonstrated and proven for, for, for many, many years to provide value in, in, in terms of different forms of therapy. And it's encouraging to see modern science recognizing that more and more. But when we, but, but when we use the phrase music, so, so with, excuse me, with some of the success of of mantra music, there's at least two concerns. One concern is that people listen to the music, listen to the mantra music, as opposed to doing a daily practice of chanting the mantra. So that's that's one difference to, to, to point out, because the real power is in the daily practice. The second key point, which is on the theme of what we've been speaking of, is that, as we know, musicians can use often use creative license. And, and, and that's part of their strength, is, is that the great musicians are creative human beings who have produced wonderful creative music. Well, if the musician is a musician that's leading kirtan, or a musician that's creating a, a mantra music recording, and they improvise a bit, or they, or they have a verse that repeats the first half of the mantra, they repeat a couple of times before they say the second half of the mantra. That's that's changing the mantra, so that's no longer an authentic Sanskrit mantra. It's been altered by the, the the creative people might say the creative license of the musician. This is a fascinating subject because I I personally love mantras and I personally love kirtan and I have a guitar and I I play and I I write sometimes and um, I when I. I love singing and chanting with mantra. It's just really fun. It feels good. It gets me in a really deep state. And I just, it's great to share and, and just want to get clarity on what you're saying. So it's, you're saying there's nothing wrong with music per se or chanting or singing mantras as part of music and community. It's what, what we have to be a little careful of is maybe breaking a mantra up and not like, for instance, there's a, and not kind of dividing it and saying the first part and then in the fun part of the song and the second part later, you're going to keep it together. Like, right. would you say it's okay to chant a song, but as long, keep, as, long as you keep the mantra uh, as part of its full power and not divide it kind of thing? Like, so Om, Om Mani Padme Hum, for instance, I, there's a song that's like Om Mani Padme Hum, Mani Padme Hum, Mani Padme Hum. So that's actually breaking it up. That's changing the mantra. 
Uh huh. And we don't know if it's for for we don't know the effects of the change per se. Well, uh, and, a bit of just saying Omani oh, Padme versus Omani oh, Padme whom. And so, well, uh, and, you, you're saying be careful. <laughs> yeah, let me let me let me highlight a couple of key points here. The I think there's widespread agreement, and I totally agree that there's tremendous value in 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 it, attending kirtan, in chanting mantras with community. There's, there's a, we, we could we could spend quite a bit of time on that topic. We know there's great value there. Some kirtan leaders are very careful, and they and they and they recognize the present the need to preserve the authenticity of the mantras as taught by the great yogis, by the great mystics. Yeah. In other cases, there's there's famous and 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 highly regarded uh, musicians who have made their own adjustments, their own creative adjustments. And so the, the key point is that. It's no longer mantra as taught by the ancient teachers. It's something else. And, and in some cases, that's something else. It, it may have a minor effect, but we don't know for sure, because in other cases, or if somebody takes it too far and they've added a few syllables in the middle of the mantra because they like the, those syllables and they happen to match the, the, the musical instrumentation very well, then it's no longer authentic mantra practice it may still have some great value but it's it's just the point is to differentiate yeah no i think that's a great point i, I appreciate you bringing it up and it, it actually leads into another question that i i get asked sometimes in workshops and um, i was i was wondering what your what your response would be and which is what can you change them is it is the melody important in other words like it does if you add in different tones or let's say can I give an example? Like saying Om Namah Shivaya, which is a very well-known popular mantra. Right. If you change, if you still keep it Om Namah Shivaya, but you add in like Om Namah Shivaya. Does that make sense? Like if you change up the melody or ha- like the spacing, is that, is that in your mind, is that a, a big deal? Or is that okay to play with it? Or Well, I understand the question. The, the... In, from a from a more strict perspective, if we're doing if we're doing meditative mantra practice, whether it's vocal or silent, but if if we're doing a daily practice for thirty minutes every morning or for a certain number of repetitions a couple of times a day, mm-hmm. as part of a as part of a daily mantra practice, then it's highly recommended. It, in my opinion, it's it's essential to chant the mantras the way that we were taught by the, the respected, authentic master from whatever tradition, from my tradition or from another tradition, there's some, some, some highly regarded teachers out there that, that are part of, 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 of a passing down of knowledge from, from these, these, these ancient sources. So in, it, when, when it comes to the, da- and so, so that's in terms of daily practice, in terms of, yes. of, of musical creativity, there, there is, there can be some latitude, but as long as people understand that that that's that's either in the category of musical performance, or or feel good feel good mood making, which is has great value, but it's it's something different from doing a mantra practice as taught by a, a great master. Yes, I think that's a really good distinction, and. Um... 
not to say one is better or worse. There's just different reasons to do to to do it. Like for instance, the 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 mantra practice, the daily practice, is something I'd like to focus a lot of the rest of the conversation on with you because I think you offer a lot of value and and helping for those that are interested in doing a daily practice and maybe aren't familiar with it. I think we've laid down uh, at least spoken a little bit about building some interest around. Okay, there's these there's a way to affect practical shifts and changes in my life by chanting that, that first of all, a lot of people I think are just going <laughs> to, if you've never experienced it, it is you, it's a leap of faith at first. Cause you are, you are chanting sounds and these are primordial sounds and there's a lot of history there, but the idea from a left brained individual to say, wow, just chanting sounds is going to have a practical effect on my life path. It's, and so it's, uh, it, and it does <laughs> once you start working with it. So I want you to speak to that a little bit. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're right. It, it's a leap of faith. It, and it, it, at a certain level, it, it, it defies the, the rational mind. Wait a minute. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to speak these, these unusual syllables, some of which are hard to pronounce. And I'm going to do that 108 times each sitting. And it's going to make me a better person. It's, it's going to help me in my career path, or it's going to help me in my relationship with my partner, or, or it's going to help heal a, a physical health issue that I've got. What, it, it, sounds, it sounds pretty wild, but in fact, that's what we're saying. Not only is that what we're saying, but that's what's been demonstrated. And, and, and Namadeva used to say, he would say, you don't have to take my word for it. You can prove it in the laboratory of your own lives. By taking this mantra that I'm claiming is very wonderful and working with it for for a certain number of days. So, in terms of a daily practice, there's there we we'd, we could spend a few minutes on different forms of mantra practice. For example, vocal versus silent. We can also talk about doing a 40 day practice, set, setting a, a goal of, of staying with a certain practice for 40 days. In terms of the, the topic of whether one form is better than another, there's different forms of mantra practices. There's, there's vocal chanting out loud. And, and now we're speaking about not, not musical performance kind of mantra practice, but, but seated at home by yourself in a comfortable chair or, or sitting cross-legged on a pillow in, in a quiet space with, with, where you know you won't be interrupted for 20 minutes or for, for an hour or however long you can, you can do it. So this vocal mantra practice, the term is, is vicari mantra practice. There, there, there's five different ways to do mantra practice. There's vocal, there's whispering, uh, also called upamshu. There's silent mantra practice. Manasaka means silent. It's, it's, it's a mental practice. It's, it's silent mantra practice, silent mantra practice that's totally internal with absolutely no movement of the lips or tongue. There's a, a fourth type of mantra practice, which is a variation on the silent. It's a silent practice that's correlated with the breath, with the, with the slow, slow in, in ratios of inhalation and exhalation of the breath. And there's a fifth to- form of mantra practice, which is actually a, a written form of mantra practice called Lakita, uh, which some teachers recommend very, very highly. For us today, we, we can focus on, for example, vocal compared to silent mantra practice. So if somebody attends a workshop with you, Gio, or one of the workshops I'm teaching, 
and they they are taught a dozen different mantras for different applications. There's some sh- the short mantras, mm-hmm. the longer mantras. So they decide they the, the, the one of those mantras that they're drawn to, and they're going to, and they want to work with it. They they like what you've told them about the benefits of practicing that particular mantra. So they decide, okay, I'm going to give that a chance. I'm going to give it a try. So what I encourage people is set a goal of of doing a certain amount of that mantra every day for for five or six days in a row. For example, to do 10 minutes with that mantra every morning or 20 minutes with that mantra every morning. And and after the fourth or fifth day, if it feels good, then then expand the commitment. Say, well, I'm going to do a a full 40-day practice. I'm going to commit to myself that I'm going to stay with this mantra and do it once a day, or or if the if the practice if the goal is to do it twice a day, do it as then then you set that goal. I'm going to do this practice once a day for 15 minutes every morning. You do it consistently. One one morning you have trouble, you can't do it. You do it in the evening, but you make sure you get it done during that day, and you stay with it for the whole time period. That's a way to begin to attune to the energies of the mantra, begin to Build up, build upon the stimulation that's going on at the level of those petals of the chakras, at the le- level of the energy channels within us, where it, it's like an energetic calisthenics. We're putting our our spiritual physiology through the paces with that mantra for 15 minutes every day, and then we start to see and evaluate: Does it is it producing the results that I was seeking? Is it doing what Bill said it would do, or what Geo said it would do? One other important component of the mantra practice is when we're going to do a daily mantra practice, or for that matter, any daily practice with an with with a yogic tool or or, or or tai chi or qigong or any energy based daily practice, we should set our intention. The the term from the Vedic tradition is is we set our sankalpa. Setting our sankalpa is is that deep felt inner resolve for the for the outcome that we're seeking to achieve from doing this mantra practice. It it would be phrased in our own words in affirmative language. It might be just a a single clause, or it might be a couple of sentence affirmation that I'm now doing my daily practice to help me to to have greater clarity of thought and be more calm in in, in a stressful situation. Or I'm doing this daily practice to uh, improve my memory and cognitive ability so that I can master these new things I'm learning in graduate school. Or it may be a mantra practice that is, is helping me on my career path because I'm, I'm stuck in the job and I'm, I'm looking for advancement and I, and I need some help. There are specific mantras, for example, for each of those kinds of intentions. So we set our intention. The mantra practice itself is a powerful energy-based methodology but setting the intention helps focus that energy on the outcome that we seek. So every day you set an intention along, that correlates with the mantra? Well, you could set your intention at the beginning of the 40-day practice. And, mm-hmm. and I like to remind myself of it most days when I do the practice. But primarily, at, at the very least, you, you state it at the beginning of the 40-day practice. Some people will even put it in writing and put it in a, in a special book or put it in, in their diary or put it on a shelf in a special place. It's, a, it's an affirmation of, of, of the outcome that we're seeking in the practice. And how specific do you want to be with your intention? 
as specific as as your inner guidance tells you. In other words, we create specificity to, to bring focus of the to the energies. If if we're looking for a new job, it may be best to keep it open ended so that it'll be a new job in this type of work with these kind of of qualities, as opposed to that particular job that you saw in the newspaper last week. You want that specific job because if we leave it a little bit more open, then then the the supportive forces in the universe can can help guide us to maybe something better that we're not even aware of. Right. Yeah. That was the crux of my question. What if we don't know what's best for us? What if our ego or our, we, we thought one thing was good, this specific line of work, for instance, in your example, but maybe there's a whole different line of work that's even available with, that's better for our spiritual path or better for us in different ways. Is there a way to have an intention yet also turn it over to the higher energies if yeah, you want to yeah. call it that way? Yes. In that case, you, you, the intention would be acknowledging that I, I need a change, asking for support and help to, to bring me to a better place of employment, to guide me with clarity so that I can make the right decision about which job I should pursue or, or, or whether I should go back to graduate school or, or take a certain training class and, and perhaps go down a different career path. It's Sometimes we want to be very focused. Other times we want to be a little bit more open and ask for help and, and assistance. Just out of curiosity, I, this is a more specific question, but um, and I think all the information you're giving is great. And I want to circle back around to some of it in terms of um, maybe a checklist for success with the mantra. You know, in your, you've listed a bunch of things. I just want to make sure we understand them. But if I think that's a really good way. I haven't done a lot of practices for clarity, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. This in terms of like, oh, I'm, I'm really like clarity on such and such. And what mantra do you use, if you don't mind sharing? What, what do you find is a good one for clarity and kind of guidance? Or for myself or for the listeners, do you feel comfortable sharing? Sure. There's a mantra that, that Namadeva taught, a, a Subramanian mantra. The Subramanian mantra. Om Sharavana Bhavaya Namaha. Om Sharavana Bhavaya Namaha. Om Sharavana Bhavaya Namaha. This mantra, I, I called it a Subramanian mantra. Who's Subramanian? Well, Subramanian was said to be the leader of the celestial army. So if I'm gonna so we can think of it in terms of, of an archetypal principle representing leadership of the celestial forces. And so if we want to, if we want to uh, invoke and, and attune to the leader of these of the celestial army, the, the leader of these celestial forces, we want that leader to bring us clarity because we want to win the great battle, and we want to and, and and we want to win the battle. We want success. So that mantra brings clarity of thought, clarity of focus, and it's said to help us achieve auspicious outcomes. So, for example, so that mantra is one is a mantra that Namadeva referred to as by a, a nickname, the good luck charm mantra. Mm, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, sure. that's, and that's helpful. And, and yeah, go ahead. It's interesting because that, that's just one brief example of a very specific application that, that brings great value. And people have had a lot of success with that mantra. Uh, it's a very popular mantra because it works. So that's a 
that's a, a reason why when I'm teaching a mantra workshop or Geo's teaching a mantra workshop, there's some very specific practical tools that are being made available there. And, and this is much more than we would have time to in, in, in an interview like this. But um, yes, there's a lot more to these teachings, what I'm saying. I mean, honestly, I, I just have to share that um, I am always blown away by the stories that come back to me a few weeks or a few months later when somebody does a mantra practice and commits to to 40 days and uh, makes that that commitment. And of course, not every person every time has achieved that goal. Sometimes it takes a little longer um, and or who knows all the factors and energies at play to, that bring about results. But the majority of, of individuals that, that, that have a practice that complete it, I love hearing the stories. And, and maybe we'll do a different, another podcast on sharing some stories because I think it's kind of fun. It's a fun way to, right. to share some of the results. <laughs> yeah, and, and that would be wonderful. For example, though, in terms of people have different situations, if we use the metaphor of, of, of going to the gym to work out on the machines, Everybody that, that signs up to go to the gym to, to work on the machines, you can well, it's easy to imagine, a wide spectrum of fitness levels, of body types, of strengths, uh, etc. The same is true with, with approaching mantra practices. People, the spiritual physiology that people are working with, which was, has been developed over, over the past eons of, of their individual existence, we, we each come with a wide spectrum of, of strengths and weaknesses. So, so the mantras work in different ways for different people. But in general, there's the majority of people to see positive results, either small positive results or in many cases, very significant, noticeable positive results. Absolutely. And um, I think something else you, you hit upon that I want to just highlight is we are hardwired for this. Right. I think part of what I love and, and teaching mantra is we've almost it's almost like helping people remember their power in a way or like that you have access to this incredible it's almost like having the most amazing computer in the world that you only using a small portion of like one percent of its capabilities i feel like with mantra practice it's like we start to access a l- way more of our power and energy and available uh what's available to us and i think that's significant i mean that that's I feel so honored and blessed to have come across this information and Namadeva and the teachings and pass it on because it's literally, in a way, helping people wake up, if you want to think of it that way, and remember who they are. Exactly. There's a, a couple of points I'd like to, to make sure we cover. For example, the concept of, of sound medicine is, is very important in, in this topic of the, the practical application of these mantras. Well, when we think of the term medicine, we only want to take medicine that comes from a trusted authority, whether it's traditional Western medicine or whether it's Ayurvedic medicine or an herbal treatment. We want medicine and we want it to take, take, take prescriptions of, of the medicine from, from legitimate authorities. Before, so the same applies to when we work with these energy tools, whether it's Sanskrit mantra or, or Qigong or, or Reiki treatments or any other energy-based tool, we want to know where it's coming from. What, what authority is it coming from? What respected lineage is it coming from? And does a person prescribing it, are they qualified to prescribe it? 
I'm using medical terminology in terms of prescription and et cetera, because when we do Sanskrit, we are ingesting the vibrations of that mantra into our spiritual physiology. So we mm-hmm. want to be careful what we ingest. We're, we're cautious about the food we eat. We're cautious about the medicine we take. Before we start doing mantra practice that we saw on the internet, do a little research. Find out what respected tradition did this come from or not. If, if there's no recognizable source and nobody that we trust, like you could ask me, you could ask Joe, is that a valid mantra? If we don't do that, then we're, we're taking a risk by ingesting an energetic tool into our lives. The other that's a great point. I highlight is that there's different. I mentioned different forms of mantra practice. For example, vocal versus silent. Some people strongly prefer the vocal approach. Other people strongly prefer the silent approach. And then there's a topic of if if we're doing mantra practice for healing. And there's, there's very specific mantras for, for physical health, for mental health conditions. If we're doing a mantra practice for healing, it's recommended that we do it vocally. It's more effective to heal our physical body or even with mental health issues, it, the, the vocal is recommended. Oh, even for mental health, the vocal is recommended? Right, right. If, if we're doing a mantra practice to manifest some physical change, in, in our lives, with our finances, or, or, or with our home, or with our, the, where we live, then the vocal practice is recommended. On the other hand, if we're doing the mantra practice for spiritual growth, for inner peace, for expansion of consciousness, the silent practice is much more effective. It, it's tremendously more effective. And so, and, and so, if we were in a class, somebody could raise a hand and say, well, who claims that silent practice is more powerful? I love the vocal practice. What are you saying? Well, silent practice is said to be much more effective for spiritual growth, according to some of the greatest masters in some of the scriptures. For example, the great Swami Vivekananda, uh, the great Shivananda of Rishikesh, the great teacher Ramana Maharishi. They all said that silent practice of mantra was much more effective for spiritual growth than the vocal. Uh, the same thing is stated in some of the, the Vedic texts, uh, the, the, the Vishnu Purana, the Shiva Purana, the Agni Purana scriptures say the same thing. So somebody hears me say that and they might say, well, a, a very practical question, what's the best practice? Well, I'm saying for spiritual growth, the silent is more effective, but that's not answering the question of what's the best practice. And, the, and in the wisdom of Namadeva, he, he emphasized the very best mantra practice is the one that you'll do every day. <laughs> because that's where the potency and the power is. So if, if somebody has their favorite mantra music and they want to chant with that mantra music, and, and if they do that every day, and if that's the only way they can really hold themselves to a discipline of staying with it every day, then, then that's their best practice. If somebody else loves the silent chanting of the mantra twice a day, three times a day, then that's best for them. So, so we want it. We promote the daily practice in whatever form people would have. Uh, I was sharing this with my wife, and she said, "Well, what about people go to a kirtan and they chant along?" That and, and yes, there's great benefit in that. It's it's not a daily practice unless you go to a kirtan every day. When most people- <laughs> And, and maybe some kirtan leaders are doing it, are leading the kirtans four, five, six times a week. But 
it's just distinct distinguishing between the practice of of between daily practice compared to some of the other forms of mantra repetition. I, I really appreciate you you talking about that, and I, it reminds me. I think in Namadeva Thomas Ashifaran's book Mantra Meditation, he talks about uh, there's a there's a line in there. And I don't know if I'm going to get it right, but it's something about the discipline places the key in the lock and the regularity turns turns the key. Do you remember that? That sounds right. Yep. Yep. And that's yeah. and that's, that's the key, practicality. Yeah, just the regularity. It's just like it's got and I, and I equate it to going to the gym as well. It's like if you go to the gym once once and you expect results, it's not going to happen. Right. Right. go constantly, you know. <laughs> right. Or, or if you go and, and listen to the satsang of every different spiritual teacher that comes into town, well, you probably get some nice blessings, but, but you need to select one or, or perhaps select mm-hmm. some things from, from several and, and you need to do the, do the practice. And, and actually, that brings up another point. Another question I get a lot is... Um, is it okay to do more than one mantra at a time with a practice? And I know Namadeva suggested just picking one, especially if you're new to mantra. What are your what's your take on on doing multiple mantras at once, or should you can you do multiple and just focus on one primarily, or what? Well, what uh, what do you suggest? That's a, that's a great and practical question. If somebody's new with mantra practice, it's recommended that they select one or with advice from me or advice from Gio, they're, they're guided to, to select one mantra, do that mantra for 40 days, and then evaluate the results. See how it feels. Did it work? Did it, it, does it feel like something positive is going on? Uh, was there a big breakthrough or little breakthroughs that you, you noticed? And at that point, decide, well, um, okay, now I'll try that other mantra that I really was drawn to. After somebody's done at least one of those 40-day practices, and they and and they've had some some positive results, then they may want to try two at a time or or if there's three mantras that they really want to do they they do two every morning and and the third mantra they'll do after work in in the early evening every day so so you can have multiple mantras later on but and one of the reasons for just doing one is so that you you notice the results and you can evaluate more clearly. The, that mantra did or didn't do what what it was said it would help with, and if you were doing three mantras, you you, you know, all, all at the same time right at the beginning, you you may not know which one produced the the breakthrough that you got. Right, that makes a lot of sense. Sure. In terms of so, in your experience, when people don't complete a forty day discipline or they have trouble, what are the what are some major obstacles that people are going to can expect? to face in completing a discipline or a daily practice, or especially with a 40-day practice, those that are interested in taking on the 40-day practice and committing to that. I w- I'm interested in setting individuals up for success and right. for addressing obstacles from the beginning. And you've done that a little bit, but can you kind of hone it in so people can sure. that are um, interested? Yeah. And one of the one of the baseline of, uh, of topics is, is that for some people, they have trouble doing anything on a regular basis. They, they have a resistance, mm. even the word discipline. They, they get nervous when we say the word discipline. <laughs> so we, we yeah. say we practice. So, that's the vadas. So that's one factor. And, and if somebody has, knows that about themselves, then with, with some coaching, with some advice, they can get past that in, in most cases. The, the other kind of considerations is, 
select a quantity, a daily quantity that, that's doable. Don't, don't get all excited and think that, oh gosh, this is the greatest thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a commitment to doing uh, one hour every morning of that mantra. Well, if some people in their schedules, maybe they've got an hour, they could, they could do that. But for most of us, it, it's better to set a smaller, more realistic objective as, as the daily goal that you set for yourself. And then when you have a day off and you want to indulge and, and, and do three times as much, you can experiment with that and, and enjoy it. So that's, so that's one factor of, of helping to ensure success is achieve a, a do set a, set a, a goal that's, that's achievable. Yes. And also try to identify a time of day that, that works best. If, for example, if somebody's the primary caretaker of, of a couple of small children, well, those children control the schedule pretty much because they're of their needs. Right. And, and so, so in that case, they're either doing their practice super early in the morning before the children wake up or in the evening after the children are, have gone to bed. So, so considerations like that are, are helpful. Some people keep a diary. Some people just make a check mark on the calendar. That can be helpful in, in just tracking progress. Some people keep a, a journal of, of experiences. Some people do more, are drawn more to that than others. Um, so for some people, that's a helpful approach. Sure. Great. Yeah, those are all great suggestions. And I just have another, one more question. And then if there's other things that are important for you to hit upon that maybe we didn't get to, that we'll definitely have time for that as well. I wanted you to speak a little bit to the importance of devotion with this practice. And, and I'm using that word because I don't know of another, a better word or, or putting your heart into it. Because, um, you know, this topic came up when I was consulting with um, a Vedic astrologer named Chakrapani, who's very well known. And he was talking a little bit about mantras for my son, who is having some health challenges. And, and he said, um, the most important piece of, of any mantra practice is the devotion that you, that, in working with it. And my interpretation of that was, oh, I can chant a mantra and kind of not really even be thinking about the mantra and I can be in my car doing it or whatever. And that's not really devotion as opposed to like really being present and like feeling and connecting with the energies and the mantra. What is your approach with, with that aspect of devotion and putting your heart into it? I think that's a great question. Devotion, devotion is an important, a very important quality. However, there's the, the different ranges uh, and different, even different connotations of, of what do we mean by devotion. So, for yes. example, if somebody makes a commitment, I'm going to do 15 minutes every day of this practice, then they're devoting that time to the practice. So, so there's devotion there. They're, they're, right. And they're doing it based on faith. Well, Gio told me this mantra would, would help with this need, so I'm going to believe him. I'm going to have faith in that. So I'm, they're devoted to the practice. They'll stay with it. For other people, they are comfortable with a divine mother guides me in everything I do. So I'm going to devote this practice. I'm going to do a, a practice of a mantra for divine mother. And that's going to, and, and I'm going to be inspired by my devotion to divine mother. And that will, that will strengthen my practice. And that can be beautiful. Mm. Somebody else, mm. some other people are, wait a minute, I, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with these anthropomorphized beings, these days. Right. Some, some people get nervous about these deities. Well, and there's a, in the classic yoga texts, there's a term, uh, 
Ishwara Pranidhana, which Ishwar is often translated as, as the Lord of the universe or the deity. Well, another way to translate Ishwara is supreme consciousness. Okay, I, I can, if somebody has trouble with the deity image or the archetypal anthropomorphized being, well, how about supreme consciousness? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus my devotion on, on the higher consciousness, on the expanded mm-hmm. consciousness, and I'm going to devote my practice to attunement to that, that higher consciousness. That's a little bit more, some people are more comfortable with that than, than saying, I'm going to do a, a practice to Lord Shiva or, or to, to Divine sure. Lakshmi. That so, makes a lot of sense. So I, on my website, there's a, there's a paper I wrote on, on the role of devotion in yoga. It highlights some of this because in, in some of the modern traditions of yoga, some people question whether devotion has any role at all. And in, uh-huh. in, in that paper, I explore the, the role and how devotion is seen as, as a component of, of yoga practices in the Yoga Sutras and, and in, in, for example, in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika and in other texts like the Ramayana, even the Yoga Yajnavalkya text and, and the, the Giranda Samhita, some of the older yoga texts. So, so there's some more information there on my website. Beautiful. And what is your website for people that want to access your writings or contact you for a consult or to just to learn more what you're doing? Sure. The uh, mantrabijaya.com. You spell that? Yeah. It's mantra, M-A-N-T-R-A, Vijaya, V-I-J-A-Y-A.com, mantrabijaya.com. And I do, I do remote consultations. I, I, many of my workshops are available as, as one-on-one personalized tutorials. I've got a uh, workshop in, in Vedic Ceremony coming up in Massachusetts in uh, June, June 6th and 7th of this year. And I'll be teaching the same workshop in Michigan in uh, August of this year. And that's the workshop. That it's a great I, workshop, I can attest to. I yes. to meet Gio at that workshop uh, last year. February in, in San Diego. Yes, I highly recommend it if you're drawn to that work uh, at all. And um, yeah, so those are your main workshops you have coming up? Yes, there's a couple more. I'm just in the process of scheduling in, in the Northeast. I, I live in Massachusetts, so many of my teachings are in the Northeast, although I've, I've taught quite a bit in, in Alberta, Canada, in, on the West Coast, in, in, in Central, in, in Chicago, St. Louis, in, in Miami, I've taught. So I travel to wherever, uh, wherever I'm invited, that, that as long as I can cover my costs, then I, I love to travel and, and, and meet people and share these teachings. Beautiful. Is there anything else that you wanted to share that you didn't get a chance to or that kind of came up that we didn't circle back around to? Yes, the people that have listened through this whole time now, they've heard me use the phrase daily practice enough times to know that, that I place high regard on that. Um, one other topic, um, the topic of pronunciation, uh, there's, there's, there's variation in Sanskrit pronunciation. A lot of Sanskrit scholars don't agree on what the correct pronunciation is. There's historical differences, there's regional differences. 2,500 years ago, there were scholars say there were there were at least four dialects of classic Sanskrit, and, and even that was different from an earlier version called Vedic Sanskrit. So 
So what does that mean? Does that mean anything goes? Absolutely not. It means that we find a, a, a teacher of Sanskrit mantra that we trust, or we t- if we want to learn the Sanskrit language, we study with a Sanskrit scholar that we trust. Find that teacher that we trust, and then we do the best we can to chant or to pronounce according to that teaching. There's some some yogic books that they'll they'll, they'll or some teachers will say that that they teach they teach in the original Sanskrit. Well, what does that mean, the original Sanskrit? If there's been all these dialects through history, the variations, and there's north-south variations in pronunciation, and even a lot of scholars don't agree upon what, what the correct pronunciation is. And people that claim that, that they teach in the original Sanskrit, typically they're referring to the, the Devanagari script, written form of the Sanskrit. Well, that Devanagari script was only uh, became in widespread use just about 150 years ago. So it's hardly the original Sanskrit. Prior to that, Sanskrit was writ- the written form of Sanskrit was within within whatever script language was was local to a certain region. So, and prior to that, of course, for for, for, for hundreds of generations, if not more, thousands of generations, Sanskrit was an oral based language. So, so if somebody says they they're teaching in the original Sanskrit, be careful because. Um, their goal may be to just sell their books or sell their CDs. But mm-hmm. in any case, as I said, if somebody wants to pursue Sanskrit pronunciation with a Sanskrit scholar or a certain tradition, then, then by all means, do it. Find that teacher that you trust and then do the best you can with that tradition. What I do is, is to the best of my ability, I teach the Sanskrit mantras, the Sanskrit hymns, as taught by my teacher and, and as taught by his teacher. So that yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. That was the that was the one last point that I wanted to just highlight. But I'll also just add that I I have great respect and admiration for the people, the the widespread interest in mantra chanting in mantra practice. Uh, there's some wonderful kirtan practices that are, are going on. There's a, an explosion of an abundance. It's, it's become ubiquitous, the amount of information on mantra that's on the internet. But the key yeah. point there is use discernment. You be selective. Know our sources um, uh, before we ingest that ma- mantra medicine into our, our spiritual physiology. I couldn't agree more with you. And uh, it, c- it can be a little confusing. It's almost like we live in a, an age of almost too much information <laughs> where it can be confusing what path to take because it's like so much out there. And even in this topic, which is as far as information goes, there's not mantra in the West. Is, although it is popular in the yoga circles for various reasons, and kirtan circles, it's still not that well known. I mean, it is in certain sections, but however, those of us that are really interested in mantras as a practice and chanting as a practice, I completely agree is using discernment and going to a trusted source. I think that's, that's huge. Right. That's why you've devoted so much time to studying this and myself and because you want to be connected with, I call it a lineage and the teachings that have been time tested and, and you can try a trusted source. Right, exactly. And, and that's why it's so important, the work that you're doing, Gio, uh, in terms of, of having chant sessions and, and teaching mantra workshops. And, and that's why it's important that, that um, at, at that SanskritMantra.com site, our teachers have some, some great products, some, some wonderful books, some, some audio resources that are powerful. And, and that's why, you know, if we go to a yoga center, 
uh, a lot of yoga centers they they don't emphasize mantra practice uh, even though right. many many of the historical luminaries in, in the yoga arena uh, did promote mantra practice as a part of, of yoga practice but that's a whole nother topic but but so, so <laughs> that's our next podcast <laughs> it's, it's good to explore and, and, and research and and follow up with questions directed to people like Gio or me who can offer some some uh, qualified and some some depth of, of advice Thank you so much, Bill. It's honestly been a pleasure. I've learned a ton myself and I already thought I knew a lot. So that it says a lot to the depth of your teaching and, uh, and thank you so much, really. Well, thank you, Gio. I, I, it's been fun. I, I get myself all cranked up because I, I consider myself a cheerleader for these teachings. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. Well, we will talk to, hopefully we can have you back around uh, on here again. Uh, once, uh, when the time is right, I think you, we've just probably scratched the surface with, with some of these things. <laughs> yeah, there, there may be an opportunity sometimes on a, on a different focus, a, a different dimension of the, yes. but I'd, I'd love to do that. Great. Wonderful. If you are interested in all the benefits of performing your own 40 day mantra discipline, then be sure to visit the podcast webpage at mantras and music.com and sign up for Geo's premier online training course titled Ultimate Chance Mantra Meditation Course, offering valuable guidance for anyone wanting to increase abundance, enhance health, overcome obstacles, reduce stress, gain clarity, and advance personal goals. You will be guided step by step by Geo to complete a 40-day powerful practice of mantra in a clear, fun, and easy-to-follow program. Thank you for joining us on Sound Medicine, Mantras and Music. If you are enjoying the podcasts, click subscribe. To access other episodes, more interviews, and music, please visit our website at www.mantrasandmusic.com That's www.mantrasandmusic.com Join us next Thursday for the release of our newest episode. Thanks again for your support. See you next week.